the penultimate summer edition of the Bearded Carcast, perhaps, but it has been a while. We figured, you know what, we're not doing anything today except have lunch with our good buddy Mark Simpson, who's the uh, Associate Commissioner of the Big South Speak for Media Speak for yourself relations. not doing anything. It's Belmont Stakes Week. I've been handicapping all week long. So we're not really doing anything this week, so we figured we'd uh, do the podcast. No, that's they put five, a lot of work over, into it. Over a, a five-week span. Yeah. Derby week, Preakness week, Belmont week. I'm really pretty busy. I, I write six or eight yeah. blogs those weeks. I handicap. I do radio shows. The other two weeks, not a whole lot going on. But, <laughs> but this, Mark Simpson's available today. Yeah, and so we had to do it. So this is the Bearded Carcast. I am Mike Pacheco. He is Dave Friedman. This is uh, season five, episode 11, believe it or not. And we're almost going to turn into a new season because, you know, we have basketball coming up. But, man, we got so much to cover. Uh, obviously, the the yesterday's news was uh, really the explosive news. Uh, I don't think any, I don't know if anybody saw it coming this year, maybe down the road, but Live Golf and the PJ Tour coming together. we got the NBA Finals. We've got the NHL. Dave has a take on Oakland and the A's and moving to Vegas. I can talk horse racing, too, not the well, we got Belmont individual States. races right, yeah. so much as, yeah. as the horse racing deaths. we got a lot we can get to. Where do you think? Where do you think? What, what what is the lead? I think I the guess lead, live live golf is I think is the lead. Okay, which goes to show you that while money is not undefeated, it has a pretty good winning percentage. That's exactly right. A friend of mine called me yesterday late morning and was flabbergasted, and I go, "How can you be surprised?" Yeah, and, and he goes, "What do you mean?" And I'm like, "You have a huge chunk dollars and cents." The PGA Tour was a monopoly for a long period of time. Then they started getting chipped away at. I understand that the golf purist wasn't watching Live, wasn't all that interested in Live, but the money that Live put into their tour and their events forced the PGA to spend right. dramatically they more got into an arms money. And in doing so, the majors unaffected, the elevated events unaffected, but all the other tournaments, major, major problems. The players aren't necessarily playing in them. The sponsorships, therefore, oh Lord, yeah. are going down. Those lower-tier events in big, big trouble because of this. And live with unlimited money in courts, Throwing yeah. lawsuits at the PGA Tour, forcing the PGA to spend more money. When you have an opportunity to take your competitor and move them into your sure. own deal, I mean, yeah, there is a moral issue with Live Golf. And Jay Moynihan looks like someone talking out of both sides of their mouth. But from the way I read this, Greg Norman and Jay Moynihan had nothing to do with it. These were the dollars and cents, the highest people. I mean, when you don't consult Tiger Woods yeah. before making a decision like this, forget Rory McIlroy, forget <laughs> Dustin Johnson. Yeah. Golf has been successful for the last 25 years because of Tiger Woods. Before that, it was Jack Nicholas. But when you don't even bother consulting Tiger Woods, it's only the big money yeah, talking. big money talking here. And I think the PGA knew they had a problem, and you are able to look over a lot of things when they essentially give you a, um, I don't know, a, a safety net. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it boils down to this. I mean, if you look at it just from an, uh, I don't know if analytics is the right word, but if you look at analytically, 
I mean, it's a smart move business-wise. I mean, they had their expenditures were the PGA Tour's expenditures were going up. Their revenues, I don't think, were matching that. And at some point, that was not going to be sustainable. Yeah, and Live has unlimited, unlimited money. Resources. Now there is baggage, obviously, and there's if, baggage. You know, and if a you know if a player you know winds up in the trunk of a car somewhere, you know. Well, the question. No, it's not going to happen. But you know is, what I'm saying. You're Rory McIlroy. You have held the line for the PGA Tour. You were offered. Huge money to go to live, and you talked against well, Tiger it. Woods allegedly turned down seven eight hundred million dollars. Right now, are the players that took that money a going to cash those checks, and b are they going to be able to walk right back into the PGA with no penalty whatsoever? Boy, for the guys that stayed loyal to the PGA Tour, that's a tough pill to swallow. I would think so, and and you wonder. I mean, do do, do the players then fracture and is is there potential? I mean, I don't know if the money is there for this, but is there a potential of the Tiger Woods and the Rory McIlroys to just leave and do their own league? Well, remember, they're already doing that. Yeah. Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy have started a oh, company. Oh, they're doing their like, team. And they're yeah. doing an indoor golf. It, and this isn't. But I'm like, thinking more on lines of like outdoor, not, not right, there. Like, but if this is successful. So when Monday Night Football ends in December or January. ABC or ESPN is going to begin doing Monday Night Golf, and it's owned and run by Rory and Tiger, yeah. and it's made for TV, sure. so you're going to be able to do it in two hours. But it's like hours. the thing that like Manning and Tom Brady, along, along those lines. Yeah, but it's indoors, indoors right. so you can do it anytime, and because it's indoors, Tiger doesn't have to walk around right. the course, which yeah. he's not physically able to do at a very high level right now. If that were to take off or if that were to be successful, Tiger and Rory could very easily say, hey, let's call Dustin Johnson. Right. Hey, let's call uh, Brooks Kepka. Yeah. Hey, let's call John Rahm. We can do this ourselves. Right. I think that would be awfully ambitious, yeah. but money will follow Tiger Woods. If Tiger yeah. Woods wants to do something, he can do it. But that being said, the live money is so enormous and so unlimited they may have sold their soul, but they probably eliminated all of their problems. Right. And then, and then the one thing I read, too, uh, you know, they're going to have the final say in all decisions, too. Well, Liv is essentially the owner. They have the money and the PGA. And they're going to be the largest investor, and then they have say on all investors. In the, right. Yeah. The, and the PGA has say over the golf stuff. Yeah. So where are events going to be played and what's the structure of those events going to be? What's going to be elevated and what's not? And, you know, how are we going to tier it and how are we going to do the playoff and all of that stuff? So they're essentially the commissioner, but they work for right. the owner yeah. and the owner is the Saudis. Right. I guess maybe it's a little bit like ESPN under Disney. Yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, ESPN controls their product right up until their boss says, <laughs> yeah, you can't do we're going to do it a yeah. little bit differently. But it, it, it's totally fascinating. We'll wrap up on this. The morals. Jay Moynihan and the PGA folks, the ones that have stayed loyal, have made a pretty big deal about sports washing yeah. and it being dirty money. It's blood money. And now they're taking that. Does that cause any problem going forward? I think that's a great question. I mean, I wasn't really involved watching the live golf stuff, and I you can't... and everybody else, right? Not involved watching live. Golf. Um, I don't know. You know, it. You know, you and I are journalists, and and you know, 
a lot of this stems the you know obviously a lot of the human rights stuff. But Jamal Khashoggi, the Washington Post reporter, that was essentially executed by you know the Saudi government. I mean, I mean, I'm a horse racing guy. Yeah. The Middle East has been involved in horse racing allegedly. For I should a say very, allegedly. Very long yeah. time, and you can go about things in two ways, right? You can say we are not interested. You are not welcome, or we welcome everybody else. Why would we exclude sure. one person? And the dollars and cents of it are really, really pushing you towards, boy, do we want to inject billions of dollars into this? What business would not, not like take, right. I mean, that? if it was Bill Gates buying Live Golf and then nobody would have an issue with it. Well, some would because there's always people have an issue right. with something. But it wouldn't be on the grounds of moral like we're talking about here. Morals are tough. They're not black and white. If you want to say that I'm never going to watch golf again because of this, you are absolutely Well, how many people have said right they're not going to gonna watch that. the NFL in the last four years and they're watching the NFL? Well, there, there's <laughs> that too. I, I, I don't... I guess the NFL morals would be more along the well, lines of political. player safety. Oh, the political. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, this is, I mean, the Russians weren't allowed to play in some of the major tennis tournaments, right? Mm -hmm. And now they are playing this year in the French Open, and I believe they're going to be allowed to play in Wimbledon. Was the sport better when the Russians couldn't play or when they could play? I didn't watch either way, so it doesn't matter. Which is fine, but... The sport's better. Any sport is better when you when the have best the sure, best of course. Absolutely. playing. Right. Do we have a problem with Russia? Certainly some people but then, do. But then where, where does the line become? Does it, does it become exactly anything right. goes or is it? Exactly right. Right. It's a tough it's one. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I, I think because I mentioned horse racing, I'll get this out of the way. Yeah, please. We, here. we, we have uh, This is Dave's. We should have a sounder for this, like Dave's horse racing take of the day or something well, like that. Well, I mean, the, the Belmont is coming up. Nobody cares. The Triple Crown's not, on, not the on the line. But the the story that has percolated, the story that people are talking about is the horse racing deaths oh, at yeah, Churchill all the horses, Downs. Yeah. And, and this is political, like you just mentioned. I think there are a few things, though, that kind of need to be said that aren't really being said. The primary one well, being, say it, Dave. this is an unpopular thing to yeah. say, but it's true. Horses are bred, thoroughbred racehorses are bred to run. So while it is... Well, to run and then later to breed if they're successful. Correct. But while it is tragic that horses die on the racetrack, these horses would not exist without horse racing because they are bred to participate in the sport. Also, and, and there's no excuse for treating horses poorly, just like there's no excuse for treating humans poorly. Both of those things do happen. They do not happen in huge, huge numbers, but they do take place and they're horrific. And when those instances occur, those people should be shown the door to prison. Um, horse racing deaths are down pretty dramatically. At one point, about 10 years ago, two deaths per every thousand races. Now it's about 1.25 deaths per 1,000 races. Is that too many? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, we, we, we would prefer there be zero. But when you have a sport with inherent risk, just like football or baseball, sometimes a line drive is going to go off a pitcher's head, and sometimes there's going to be a neck injury or a concussion. Horses, because the way they are built are not really stable if they break a leg. Oftentimes, if you break... Their quality of life is a lot different if they have a broken leg. It's harder for them to maneuver. And And it's hard to do the surgeries that rehabilitate those, and a lot of those horses have to be euthanized, and that's, that's horrible. But sports bring an inherent risk, and horses in horse racing are bred to participate in horse racing. They don't exist otherwise, and the number of deaths is going down. I believe, even though most people in the horse racing industry would disagree with this, the new federal legislation, HISA, which has been incredibly controversial, is a very good and a necessary thing. I don't know if they're going to be successful. I don't know when the government intervenes, if we generally get the results that we hope for. But Horse racing is renegade in the sense that what you do at one track is different than what you do at another track, different states. You need to have federal regulations, and you have to have someone at the top of the pecking order that can hand down punishments, and that's what we are working towards. Churchill Downs right now is closed. They've moved racing to Ellis Park. That seems very, very silly to me. They've done all the testing on the course at Churchill. No one has found a problem. They announced this last week, but then they ran their last weekend and are moving racing this weekend. If there's a problem, it needs to be stopped immediately. And if there's not a problem, then it's kind of grandstanding to move it. But are all these deaths the same thing or are they all different? They're not. They're not all the same thing. They generally have happened on the turf, on the uh, main course, on the dirt course. There are far fewer injuries on turf racing, grass racing. There are far fewer injuries on synthetic racing. There is some thought that we should get rid of all dirt racing and go to synthetic. That's a long argument that we certainly could have. But we're not seeing a rash greater than we have in the past. It just came at a very high-profile time. Right. At very and it high could just profile. be a statistical anomaly, right? That- I think that's what it is. It's a low sample size. It's a few weeks or six weeks of racing at one track. If you look broadly, the numbers are much better today than they were 10 years ago. But that doesn't mean it shouldn't be addressed. And those that have a zero-tolerance policy that say any horse that dies on the track, we can't have this, then we shouldn't have the sport. And you're perfectly okay to have that level of thought. I've worked in this industry and know the industry well enough to know most of these horses are cared for better than people are. Not all. There are bad actors, just like there are bad actors in everything. And I think long-term, the government regulation is necessary. We need a commissioner. It's the same thing as in college sports. College basketball, college football are run amok because the NCAA has no power, and therefore every team is going out and doing it differently. The NIL stuff impacts every school in the country, but it impacts Alabama a lot differently than it impacts High Point. But if High Point isn't doing anything, they are falling behind. You need some regulation. You need rules. You need standards and practices. 
Horse racing has struggled with those things because there's no commissioner and there's one no single kind of voice and regulatory body. We see that in a lot of sports, though. There, there are a lot yeah. of problems in a lot of places. Well, and well, and it's a common theme going back to the live golf. Like, what? Where's the line? On all of this, right? And, and even in society, right? People feel like uh, there's too much government. Some people feel like there's not enough government. Yep. I think there's not good government, right? I mean, it's it's. I don't think it's a number size. It's like there's a lot of gray area. A lot of gray area. So anyway, so uh, that's the horse racing take. This is the Bearded Car Cast. Mike Pacheco, Dave Friedman, uh, coming to you uh, live to tape. On a Wednesday afternoon before It only lunch. took three years to build this uh, room that we're sitting uh, in. No, the, no, no, the room's been built. Uh, some of the other stuff took a long time. But no, we've been done for a year. We're, we're, this is doesn't feel that way. felt like the project, the remodel, took forever. But it's beautiful. I mean, the house is, is fantastic. Yeah, well, well, the last piece is the landscaping. We haven't, that, that needs, that's our last. Well, the screened-in porch here is pretty sweet. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. It's pretty nice. Nice overlooking the uh, creek. And then... Uh, if you had uh, x-ray vision, you could see maybe 300, 400 yards from here, the, the 14th tee box at Quill Hollow. Uh, it looks like it might be difficult to get there. Yeah, yeah. Fly I, the bird, yes. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's it's probably a couple. It's, it's definitely a, uh, I'm thinking definitely driver, a <laughs> couple of three woods. Yeah, you know. exactly. Both of our teams uh, lost in the NBA playoffs. Uh, well, let me let me start with the Celtics. Yes, because Game Six or Game Seven rather frustrated the blank out of me uh, for this very reason. And you and I have watched a lot of basketball, and um, what and, and uh, you know I'm I'm just a broadcaster and I, and I watch a lot of basketball. That doesn't make me an expert, but I feel like it gives me a breadth of knowledge. And I've seen games where you and I've seen a lot of games where you know a team maybe couldn't go inside, so then they just start jacking threes because. That they, they can't get anything inside. The Celtics in Game Seven to me it was in the fourth quarter. It was the absolute reverse. They could they were they could have driven in all. Now their game, the Celtics game is kind of like the new modern basketball where it's uh, you know a pull up three, a wide open three, you know shot spectrum. That's a good shot. But they were getting everything they wanted to. They were getting fouls. They were getting to the line. And they should, in my opinion, they the the reliance on the three. Uh, kill them and their d- the defense in, in times was and I'm not saying that's I'm just saying I'm saying you sound like an old man as the game played out no I'm not I have no problem with them hitting threes but at some point you have to recognize and I understand the, the concept of you play to, to your, your averages but at some point I, I can see this that they're getting all this stuff by the driving by driving getting to the basket and they shot themselves um, out of oblivion in the fourth quarter okay they Trailed in the series 3 nothing. No team, 150 of them, have ever trailed 3 nothing and come back to they win They could have series. been the first one, Dave. They, 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 they had a chance. They could have been the first one. Now, this topic is very personal to both of us because you're a longtime Celtics fan and you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And Joe Missoula is my friend. And Joe has taken a whole lot of heat Maybe justified, maybe not justified. Um, There is a lot to talk about when it comes to the Celtics. We could go chapter and verse on this topic. Well, I mean, certainly they're flawed. I mean, they're not perfect, but they're a good good team. Very, very talented. No question about that. I believe that they have an issue, and their issue is their best player. Jason Tatum at his best, 
is one of the best players in the world. But he's a front runner. There's no mm. other way around it. When things are going good, he's got swagger. He's got confidence. He hits inside. He hits outside. He defends. He rebounds. He's unbelievable. When adversity strikes, he turns the ball over three times yeah. in the final 90 seconds of a playoff game. And the game after that, he is the invisible man. Doesn't seem to want the ball. There are days that Steph Curry is bad. There are days that LeBron James is bad. There are days that Jimmy Butler is bad. They never don't want the basketball. They never kind of wilt between the ears. They shoot poorly. They make bad decisions. But Jason Tatum, who has to be the best player on the team, does not behave like the superstar player consistently enough. I think that's a big, big problem. Well, in a, in a game seven like that, it's a huge problem. And Jalen Brown turned the ball over. I mean, he was a walking turnover. Right, but Jalen Brown is— And I like him. I think he's a really good player. I he's, think he's very he's talented. a really good number two player. Yeah, yeah. That's what he is. Now, when Jason Tatum got hurt in game seven, and now Jalen Brown has to take more initiative, yeah. what is Jalen Brown? He is not— an initiator yeah. who should be dribbling seven times. I mean, he can score the basketball. He is an elite yeah. scorer, but he, he, he's not an A guy. Right. He's not a guy that necessarily is going to make his teammates better. He's just a great second wheel. You turn him into the best player on the team, and, and that's yeah. that's not good. I mean, they lost game seven because Jason Tatum got hurt. Yeah. I yeah, mean, you true. can't, if Steph Curry gets hurt, you're not winning game seven. If LeBron James gets hurt, you're not winning game seven. Th this NBA Well, the one thing that in, in the Celtics defense, the one thing they couldn't uh, maybe account for is some of the secondary and tertiary players for the Heat just having monster But the Heat games. are awesome. They don't have good players. Jimmy Butler is, he's, he's very good. He's good. But more than being a great player, he's a warrior. He is. I mean, he... The tenacity that you can tell why he's had to move around teams. There are just a lot of dudes that can't play with someone that's that intense, yeah. that demands that much of their teammates. Bam Adebayo just played the best game I've ever seen him play. I consider him a JV version of Jalen Brown. I mean, he can be the second best player on your team, but more often than not, and, and again, in game two, he did everything. Yeah. He was incredible. Yeah. But more often than not, he's a guy that knows his role, that doesn't stretch outside of doing those core group of things. Like, the Heat are, if you don't like the Heat, you don't like watching basketball because they don't have all these superstars. They've got one dude who's just a warrior who demands so much, who puts his team on his back, who's the vocal leader. I mean, he, he's the guy you can't take your eyes off of, but he's not like one of the five or eight or ten best players in the yeah. league. He's just a really, really good player and has been for a long time. And then they've got all of these role players. They have all these undrafted guys. Spolster is an incredible coach. Yeah. I mean, like, it's impossible to to cheer against them. I don't think they're going to win this series, but I didn't think they were going to win any of the yeah, last right, three right, series right, either. Right. And then you that. look at Denver. Jokic is just, 
He's a pleasure to watch. He is. I mean, he he can do everything on a basketball court, even though he does not look like no. he should be able to <laughs> no, do anything no. on a basketball court. I didn't think Jamal Murray was good in game two, but when he's cooking, he's incredible. This Denver team is the same team that looked so good in the bubble, and then they had all the injuries, and we kind of forgot about them. They've got a really good coach. They've got lots of good players. They've added pieces to that bubble team. I mean, they are all that. They're, 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 they're really good. But wouldn't it be awesome if Miami takes one out of two at home and you get to a pressure-filled game five that, I mean, Denver's never been in this situation before, sure. and Jimmy Butler is always ready for the occasion. Yeah, I think it's going to be something to keep an eye on, right? I mean, it's, it's an interesting team. Let um, me ask you yeah. this. We're two games in. It's 1-1. One, one. If you were to bet, does it go back to Denver Three one in either direction. Right. Three one Miami. They went two mm. at home. Three one Denver. They went two at home. Or two two. Which side do you take? Mm. I think I. I think I take two two. I mean, I think conventional wisdom is it's going to be two two. But I think three one is totally on the table. Yeah. Because whoever wins game three puts an enormous amount of pressure on the other team to win game four. Let's say Denver, much like game one, controls game three. The narrative swings back to Miami stole one game. Denver's much better. Denver goes into game four essentially looking for the kill shot. They can go home and win the series. Conversely, if Miami wins game three... Now you're putting an inexperienced team who's never been in the finals before in hot water on the road in game four. I, I, I'm really excited to watch both games. I like both teams. I think they're both well coached. I think Denver is more talented and you have the best player in the world. But the, the story of Miami, it feels like watching a mid-major basketball yeah, team. Yeah. I don't know and how the, you can share against them. And, and the tenacity, right? I mean, just the sheer will. Like you said, I mean, they probably should have been punched out you know, three series ago and they just keep beating teams above their weight a little bit. couple of things to go back yes. and mention about the Celtics. Yeah. Um, analytics tells you what they're doing is the right way to play. Shooting a million three-pointers numerically when you have a really good shooting team, that's the right strategy. Right. I, and I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying in a Game 7 when things aren't working, it, it, it's kind of like sometimes in a Game 7 you, you change a little bit how you manage a baseball game. If it's a regular season game or if it's earlier in the playoffs, I don't disagree with that. The numbers say, though, you shouldn't. The numbers say what you do in the regular season is the same thing you should do in the playoffs. It's like passing in the NFL. I just read an analytics article yesterday about the Eagles. They were one of the first teams to have a a significant impact from the analytics program. And Jeffrey Lurie, the owner originally when he bought the team, hired a couple of guys from, I forget, it was MIT or Harvard or whatever it was, and he handed this information to the coaches, and they laughed at it. And they said, what do these guys know about football? They've never played football before. And Lurie kind of like rolled his eyes and was like, okay. And they, they were successful, and now they have a coach, and now they were just in the Super Bowl. They've completely dispelled the notion that you have to run to set up the pass. Well, Bob Myers, um, I, I saw a clip with him, and he said, you know, how you play in the playoffs is, you know, it's two different seasons. Because 
th- teams will take one or two things away that you do really well in the playoffs that, that, that well, might not. A seven-game series is very, very different than the regular season. That's a good point because teams have time to make adjustments. You're playing the same team over and over again. Yeah. But in football, it's just a single game. Yeah. But so, I but I think it's feel, though. I think at, at some point, if you're, you know, you're four for 21, okay, in the first quarter, okay, keep going. But at some point through three quarters, I, I get – I mean, yeah, it's either – Keep going because it's it bound to go in. Or you know what? It's not going in, so let's go with what's working. And so it's a, I think at that point it's a feel thing, well, and, not a and, numbers thing. And speaking of feel, and again, Joe Missoula was a volunteer or a last man assistant coach on a Division II team that I was friendly with the staff. Joe has stayed at my house. I, I, I'm a big fan. He is as analytics forward as anyone I've ever met in basketball. He was talking a decade ago about fouling when up two. Not up three at the end of the game, went up two. He's very interested in doing innovative things. But he got hired less than a week before the season started, right? When Emi Adoka— I I have no beef with Joe Mazzulla. Joe Mazzulla was working alone. Yeah. Right. Most NBA staffs have been together for a long time and you have great continuity. Joe Missoula took over. Will Hardy had left in the offseason yeah. for a head coaching job. Then, Adoka is yeah. gone. In the middle of the season, you lose the guy that a lot of people thought should have been named the head coach, right. Damon, Damon Stoudemire. Yeah. So you have a very inexperienced staff. And maybe more importantly than an inexperienced staff, you have a staff with none of his people. He didn't hire any of these yeah. people. These are Emi Adoka's people. That's why three of the staff members have already left yeah. to coach with sure. Emi Adoka. Right. So you've got a young coach who the players love, who the front office loves, and he doesn't really have his people, and he doesn't really have veteran people to run things off of. That's a problem. Yeah. No doubt. And it's a problem to me to some degree, and I'm not, I, I, I don't know what discussions took place during the year, but you mentioned Bob Myers, and I'm a Warrior fan, and, and Bob moving on could be a big could moment a big, in the history yeah. of the franchise. But when Mark Jackson was the coach of the Warriors, Michael Malone was his top assistant. And when Michael Malone got a head coaching job, the Warrior ownership said, we want you to hire the best assistant coach you can. Money is not an object. And Mark Jackson thought that Michael Malone got too much of the credit for the Warriors Mm. being good and didn't go out and hire a veteran, highly respected assistant coach. And 12 months later, he was working for ABC and ESPN (laughs) and Steve Kerr was working for the Warriors. It seems to me there should have been an opportunity during the season, whether Brad Stevens sat on the bench with Joe sure. Missoula yeah. or to go write a check and hire one or two people that are either Joe's people or older people. I think I read this week they're hiring Sam Cassell, yeah. right, who's been there and been there. done sure. that. Yep, yep, yep. That, to me, yeah. and again, maybe Joe didn't want that. I have no idea. Right. But you could have done that pretty yeah. inexpensively Now, to the Youngstown, Youngstown State staff going over there? <laughs> uh, good question. Um, as it pertains to Bob Myers, the Warriors are in an interesting yeah. point in time. 
Curry is signed for a few more years. Draymond Green can opt out of his deal. Klay Thompson has $41 million left one year on his contract. Andrew Wiggins makes a ton of money. Jordan Poole is about to make a ton of money. They've got big decisions to make. It'll be interesting to see who makes those decisions. I think it'll be Mike Dunleavy and what those decisions are because the way the cap is changing, if they just run it back and you're running it back for a team that didn't have a very good regular season and certainly were okay in the playoffs, but they, they weren't brilliant. Now, maybe Wiggins missing the last half of the season was a big part of that, but if they feel as though they need to make a move Cap-wise, yeah. Jordan Poole's probably the odd man out. That's a that's a tough way to go. I mean, they, they've got major decisions, and Bob Myers, who's orchestrated a whole lot of big decisions, including the Andre Iguodala trade, including the Kevin Durant sign-and-trade, he's not there to make that decision. All right, so a new segment here, the five-minute clock. Now we're down to 438, maybe squeeze in a couple uh, other things that we want. So anything else you want to add on Celtics or Warriors or NBA before we move on? Have we hit, have we extinguished that? I think both teams need to make significant changes. I think if you run back the exact same roster, you may contend, you may win, but I think both of them should look in the mirror Mm -hmm. and suggest if we do the same thing, the same result very well may percolate again. I don't know what those changes necessarily are because if the Celtics re-sign Jalen Brown, they're 12 months away from spending their entire salary cap on two guys. The Warriors are in the same sort of cap situation. The Warriors are a little bit different. They have all these veteran guys that have been with them forever. It's hard to see them saying goodbye to one of those. But how do you trade or let Jalen Brown go? And aren't they talking about also maybe uh, penalizing teams that go over the cap a little bit more? No question. Kind of take it away, kind of the the Warriors. Right, but what's not being talked about is the NBA TV conversation contracts are about to come up and all of a sudden the cap is going to go way Way up up. when Turner and ESPN and whoever else have to double the money they're paying for the rights. All right. Stanley Cup Finals. Are you watching? You do have a thought on this, I know. Um, I... My thoughts are about the NHL draft because I'm a Sharks fan, but I don't really watch that much. They're... There, it's supposedly this incredible draft, right? It's like one of the best drafts yeah. in, in 20 or 30 years. Uh, the top player, everyone knows who that is. Most people feel as though the second player is determined. The Sharks draft fourth. There's a Russian who is supposedly the best Russian yeah. since Alexander Ovechkin. Oh. But a lot of people are very gun-shy about a guy that's going to be at least in Russia for the next three years. Mm. And there are tensions with Russia. If you knew you could draft the best player, but you have no idea when or if he's ever going to come, I I think that's really interesting. I've enjoyed the NHL playoffs. I certainly am not an expert. Have you watched? A little bit. Uh, I'm just bitter about the Panthers. Uh, Florida Panthers, so I've probably become a Golden Knights fan. Just for well, you're reason. up two nothing. <laughs> I know. So the story of the goaltender in Vegas is incredible. They're on their fifth goaltender of the yeah, year. Yeah, I mean the fact that all you, those injuries and then they're, where they're at is amazing. amazing. Yeah, that's that's unbelievable. And you know, in you know Florida's goaltender was. I mean, he was. Oh, I part also of the reason have this comment on the, the Bruins. Yeah, the Turner Studio team is fantastic. That they have very much been able to replicate the Barkley, mm. Kenny oh, yeah, Smith, yeah, 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 yeah. Shaq show. I, I can't even tell you who all the people are. are. There's a guy, I think his name is Bissonette, something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. 
He's, he's good. Phenomenal yeah. Yeah. on television. Yeah, it's been um, it's been a lot of fun. Any interest in the French Open? I only have interest in Djokovic and um, Alcaraz tomorrow. I, I I think tennis has lost a lot of luster with the big three essentially not participating anymore. All in tomorrow for those two players. Alcaraz pretty clearly is the next great one. Djokovic is playing for history. Should be a great match. Haven't watched a lot of the rest of the tournament. Have you watched any? No. In 90 seconds or less. Actually, in 60 seconds, what, what's your A's update? I mean, no one wants the baseball team, right? <laughs> the, the, the population in Nevada overwhelmingly has said, <laughs> we don't want to build them a ballpark. And the state of California is not going to build not gonna, a ballpark. Yeah, that, now, it's possible that Nevada is going to say, we don't care what the people want. We're still going to build sure. a ballpark. Right. But it makes no sense why Major League Baseball is waiving the relocation fee. That should be three hundred, five hundred, eight hundred yeah. million dollars to the owners of MLB. Why would you give them a free pass? I think because the only thing I could think of is, is, and I don't think this makes sense necessarily, but they, Manfred has been on record as saying they want to, before they think about expansion, they want to get the teams situated. But they have an answer to that. Yeah. The current owner sells the team, and somebody locally buys them a stadium. Yeah. The, the, the chances of that happening, if that team was up for sale, someone locally would buy them within 48 hours. They, they could get to a price, and those same people would build a ballpark. There are four different groups that would do it. Well, now the timer's not going to go. Yeah, well, I thought we were going to get a sound <laughs> effect, a buzzer. No, no buzzer. <laughs> all right well maybe we'll do one more before basketball season maybe we'll do 10 more who knows but uh keep listening appreciate everybody uh sticking with us throughout the years uh, any final thoughts that's it all right that's it for us uh bearded car cast it's uh 11 gmt goodbye everybody